Hi, welcome to the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. Each week, I answer your questions on codependency, people-pleasing, and all things relationship-related, submitted to me via Instagram. Follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood to submit your questions in my stories every Monday. You can also click the link in the show notes to take you straight there. And before we begin today, I want to ask all you gorgeous bods a favor. If I've answered one of your questions, or if you just love listening, would you mind taking a couple of minutes to leave me a snazzy rating and a lovely review? It's super helpful in getting the pod out to a wider audience. Also, I'm a recovering codependent and a human being, so I really appreciate the validation of strangers on the internet. Thank you. Okay, first up, we have this from Maddie who asked, how can I be honest with my partner without feeling like they will reject me? Such a simple and concise but powerful question, Maddie. I know this one will resonate with loads of our lovely listeners. Here's the thing, dating, getting into a relationship, falling in love, these are all inherently vulnerable things. To do them successfully, they require us to be vulnerable with our emotions. They require us to open up, to be our authentic selves. They also make us vulnerable because we cannot control the other person, their thoughts, feelings, or actions, as much as we may try as codependent babes. The kind of terrifying reality of relationships, even good, healthy, fulfilling ones, is our partner could wake up on any given day and for reasons that we may never have been able to predict or may struggle to understand, change their mind about wanting to be with us. Obviously, that would be horrible and heartbreaking, but when we don't intrinsically link our sense of self-worth to another person being in our life and therefore validating us, it's something that we could handle. It's something we know would be super sad, but ultimately manageable, and not something that would have to define us or how we feel about ourselves. However, when we are codependent, This dysfunctional coping mechanism that we have adopted to help keep us feeling safe throughout the chaos and conflict that created it makes us utterly terrified of anyone ever leaving. We were conditioned to believe that our worth came from doing and not being. It came from being able to please, soothe, comply with and take care of others rather than just being able to be ourselves regardless of whether that was what our primary caregivers had in mind. As adult codependent babes, we need to be needed. If we feel the people around us don't need us, we feel untethered and lacking in direction and substance. So it makes sense then that you have this fear of rejection if you say how you really feel. I actually have a bit of a controversial opinion on rejection, And it's that we can't really be rejected as human beings. We are not faulty teddy bears on a production line. We are living, breathing, feeling beings. If someone rejects us, it's more about a projection of their own experiences up to this point. And when we sink into feeling rejected, and I am so sorry to be a minimizing bitch here because heartbreak and failure are sad and horrible and real. But when we allow ourselves to sink into and wallow in rejection, we really are throwing ourselves a pity party. When we allow ourselves to be defined by rejection, what we are doing is completely centering ourselves in someone else's experience. 
the reasons we are rejected from any situation, be it a relationship, a job opportunity, a family system, are nuanced, complex and myriad, many of which came before us and that often have absolutely nothing to do with us and most of which we'll never know. People have whole lives before we meet them, including our parents and families of origin. Everyone approaches every situation with their own perspective, informed by their own experiences, whether they realise that or not. I think the term rejection is so cutting, it's so personal. (laughs) There's a reason that cis men are, as a culture, terrified of it. When in reality, it's usually really not that personal at all. Most of the time when we're feeling rejection, it's much more like a mismatch of values or timing, circumstances or personalities. Someone saying no or not now or not like that, for me personally, is not received as a rejection. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely receive the no, I understand boundaries, but it doesn't cut to the core of who I am. It's just information that allows me to make another choice. But that's because I've been in codependent recovery for years now and my sense of worth is pretty solid. You know, not to brag or anything, it's also available to you. So I hope that's given you some helpful reframing on the concept of rejection to start with. And now for the step-by-step of how to get out of this holding back pattern. The key to being able to be honest with your partner without feeling like they will reject you is firstly building your level of self-worth so that this is not your knee-jerk fear anytime you want to express your authentic wants and needs. Then you have to make peace with the fact that regardless of how well you express yourself and how much you value yourself, your partner could still say no. But now you know that's not a rejection. It's just a mismatch of values, right? Are you starting to get this? But here's the real test of your self-worth. If you're honest with your partner and they can't give you what you want, or find a way forward with you, a way to line up those mismatched values, can you walk away from something that isn't working for you? Can you value yourself enough to not reject yourself? Ultimately, when we hold back our truth out of a fear of being rejected, we intensify the fear by internalizing a sense of rejection, i.e., consistently demonstrating to ourselves that our wants, needs and feelings don't matter enough to be validated by being expressed. Stay tuned to the rest of this episode for more detail and tips on self-validation and self-worth building. And one final note on this, sometimes the partner we are with exacerbates the issues we already have. Sometimes we fear being rejected by a partner because they make a habit of making us feel rejected. Is this fear of rejection coming solely from you? It could well be. Or are you also with a person who makes feeling secure, supported and validated just that much harder? Our next question is from Winnie who said, would love to hear more about codependent, codependent relationship dynamics. Okay, settle in babes because it's story time. Let me tell you a tale of two codependents who got together. At first, it seemed like a dream. I mean, of course it did. What first month of any codependent relationship isn't like the euphoric, oh my God, you're my soulmate montage from a rom-com. Yes, you have all just been dragged. But like, it was different this time. They'd both only had abusive, manipulative, narcissistic, thoughtless partners in the past. And this, just like, wow. They both thought of each other 
all the time. Paid attention to all the little details in equal measure. Like, could this even be real? That two people could be so obsessed with each other? Sorry, I mean, addicted to each other? Wait, scratch that. I mean, as totally head over heels in love as these two? It was a real life fairy tale. Except now it's about to flip from a Disney flick to a Brothers Grimm. Fast forward six or 12 months. The obsession has become tiring. The anxious attachment, times two, exhausting. The constant need for validation flowing both ways, just too much. Without a dominant force shaping and guiding the relationship, as the abusive and manipulative partners of their past had always done, they kind of get stuck in a quagmire of codependency, manipulating each other with kindness, never actually feeling satisfied because wants and needs are not being expressed. Overgiving and assumption is standard procedure, and boundaries are constantly being crossed. Inevitably, one partner will become more dominant and take on the role of the one giving direction to the relationship through more forceful and outward control and manipulation. Remembering that codependent people are also very controlling and manipulative by design, but their control and manipulation has a more subtle, martyr-like flavour. I'm often asked by codependent people if they are narcissistic. Sometimes that's because someone narcissistic or manipulative has told them that they are, because those types of people confess by accusation. And sometimes it's because they can feel themselves starting to be outwardly controlling and displaying narcissistic style tendencies as their way of getting their needs met becomes more overt and aggressive. Cue the more submissive partner going into victim and martyr hyperdrive, turning their manipulation and control skills up to 11. Typically, lots of emotional outbursts from both parties will follow. Think shouting, crying, hysteria and passive aggression Olympics. When the relationship finally breaks down, the more dominant partner will resume their previous codependent style of behaviours, allowing them to get into a future relationship with a more dominant partner again. This dynamic also applies to all the other relationship structures, professional, familial, platonic. Two Cody babies can meet in any scenario and fuck shit up together. A couple of codependents together is like two people stuck in a revolving door, each one insisting that they will be the one to open the door for the other. At some point, one of you is going to get tired of going round and round in circles, go off the fucking deep end, ram out of that revolver and just start spinning it as fast as possible like an absolute fucking psycho, just to release the tension and frustration of having gone nowhere and nobody taking any control or giving any direction to the thing for months or maybe years on end. Going around in circles constantly, as comparatively pleasant and comfortable as it may first seem, is not only exhausting, it's also ultimately frustrating and unfulfilling. So yeah, sometimes my codependent babies ask me if this, this meaning life, would all just be a lot easier if they could just get into a relationship with another codependent or people pleaser. In theory, it certainly seems like the dream, just to stay trapped in mutual loving dysfunction together forever. Because honestly, at the start, people will look for any alternative to actually doing the hard introspective work of recovery. But sadly, my loves, this is not the way out that it may first appear to be. It might feel nicer at first, and the honeymoon period might last a little bit longer. But whilst ever you're operating from your dysfunctional coping mechanism and triggered ass trauma responses, 
it's only ever going to end up being a total shit show. And from one shit show to the next, Alice asked, a close friend of mine is dating my ex. I feel weird about it. Am I wrong to want to distance from her? (laughs) Oh my God, no. This is weird as fuck and most people would not feel okay about this. I mean, why? Are there not 7 billion other people on the planet that she could be dating instead? For fuck's sake. Friends are meant to be the people that you go to to moan about your ex or spill your heartbreak with. Not feel like you have to watch what you say because your ex is now their beau. Look, to an extent, I get that you can't help who you like, but at some point you've got to choose which relationships are more important to you. And it feels like your so-called friend has decided that jumping into bed with your ex is more important to her. And hey, maybe it is. Maybe they're truly, madly, deeply in love. Maybe her relationship with your ex is what she really wants. Cool. Let her have it. Personally, I would also feel like this is going to throw up some questions around your relationship with your ex and with your friend. Like, was this connection always there or building between them while you were together? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but just the wondering is probably going to give you the massive ick towards them both. Some friendships might survive this. A very small percentage of people might feel like, yeah, you two were always a much better match than us two as a couple anyway, and I love you both, so I'm happy for you. And this is cool because it means I still get to hang out with both of you. And if that was how you felt, amazing, good for you, very mature and evolved, happy days. But it sounds like this really does not work for you. So don't feel guilty or any level of pressure to stick around in this friendship if it just feels gross. Maybe with some time and distance, it might feel more okay to you. Maybe it won't. Either way, that's fine. But whatever you do, don't get tripped up by the cool girl myth, which also works in the realm of friendships. Thinking that this shitty thing that happened to you that would reasonably freak out most people, that you should somehow just be totally chill about it. Nah, fuck that. Take care of yourself. And if your friend is upset that you don't want to hang out with her as much now she's bumping uglies with your ex, Maybe she should have thought about that and just like downloaded Tinder or something instead. And now this from Nina. How to stop diminishing your feelings as a woman. Okay, this is a big, big question that is rooted in some deeply felt patriarchal misogynistic bullshit. Our culture teaches us, has taught us as women and people assigned female at birth for hundreds of years to pipe down, be quiet, be seen and not heard. And on that note, make sure you look pretty, whatever the current beauty standards may be. Because if you're valued mainly for how you look, better make it good. Be nice, polite and make yourself smaller. Sometimes physically, all of the time emotionally. Don't expect your needs to be met. Don't ask for too much and pander to the whims and desires of men and this male dominated society. Then multiply that by however many intersections of identity you hold. Because the further away you get from white, cis, straight, able-bodied, thin, conventionally attractive, wealthy and educated, the more you must diminish yourself, the more compliant you must be to be deemed acceptable by society. So that's just the water that we're swimming in every day. It can and does infiltrate the psyches of even the most emotionally robust women. Then add on the interpersonal dysfunction many of us in this community were brought up in. If we were brought up in homes that made us codependent or people pleasers, we basically had this whole concept of being the world's shock absorber installed as a core part of our identity. 
the ultimate trick of a patriarchal, individualistic and emotionally disconnected and dysfunctional society is that it has us internalize this stuff and do it to ourselves. It's like a fucked up relay race. Our families and our society hands us the baton and we just keep carrying the damn thing until we finally learn that it's okay to drop it. So how do we stop diminishing our feelings? Listen up, babes, because what I'm about to share are some of the foundational principles of building up your self-worth, whether you identify as codependent or not. First, we have to actually be able to identify our own feelings. For that, we're going to need to find ways to slow down, clear energetic and emotional space in our lives, and get out of the anxiety clouds that float somewhere just above our heads, and get back into our bodies. We have to be able to feel our feelings and name them for ourselves before we can do anything else with them. When you've worked on identifying your feelings, try writing them down or speaking them out loud, first to yourself and then to another trusted person. When we share something with another person, it makes it more real. So let's practice making those feelings that we're getting more familiar with actually feel real. This is how we start to self-validate. Through this process, We begin to retrain our brains to know that our emotions are worthy of being acknowledged, felt, and processed. They don't just have to be stuffed down or scrambled and sent up into the anxiety cloud, only to be used later for the purposes of anxiety attacks, low moods, disturbed sleep, and general exhaustion. When you've gotten familiar with your own emotions and can correctly identify and clearly and concisely express them, it's time to start translating them into asking for what you want and need asking for support and stating and maintaining boundaries and practice taking your time or doing what feels good to you regardless of whether it's ladylike or classy or feminine or pretty or neat or polite or men will find it attractive. This is real self-care and all real self-care is an act of rebellion in a hierarchical society. I have linked to an article on the term hierarchy in the show notes if you want a bit of light reading on feminist theory and intersectionality. I hope that was helpful, my lovelies. I know that was an answer that covered lots of big concepts and ideas. So if you have any follow-ups, feel free to submit them for future episodes. And our final question today comes from Nick, who said, I was in a long-term codependent relationship with an avoidant attacher. He broke it off last year and I was devastated. I've done a lot of work on myself to understand my codependent traits, but now I'm too scared to start dating again because I'm worried there's too many things I need to be aware of regarding my own behavior and too many things I'm trying to check with the person I'm dating. Just completely lost faith in my ability to date like a normal person. Feel like there's something fundamentally wrong with me that can't be fixed. Hey Nick, so I totally get this feeling and you are definitely not alone in this. I want to say right at the top here, normal people, whatever they are, are also shit at dating. It's like the Wild West out here, so don't worry too much about being able to date like a normal person because 95% of people out here are mad as a box of frogs and quite frankly all over the place when it comes to dating and relationships. And secondly, there is definitely not something fundamentally wrong with you. Maybe some learned dysfunction, maybe a trauma response and some wonky coping mechanisms but nothing that can't be uninstalled and replaced with something better and healthier. That I can promise you. I work on it with my clients every day. I think anyone would feel a bit nervous to get back out there after a heartbreak, especially from someone with an avoidant attachment style. That's going to have its own special level of shit sauce going on. But there's a simple framework you can use to make dating a bit less scary. First up, get happy single. 
make sure you are content and fulfilled by yourself. Do things that you have been waiting to have a partner to do. Start or finish something that you've wanted to do for ages. Spend quality time with your friends. Take up a hobby that is progressive, something where you are working towards a goal. Make finding a partner a nice bonus to an already fulfilled life so you can approach dating with the attitude of, I'm happy being single and only willing to sacrifice some of that for someone fucking fantastic. Next, get clear on what you want in terms of a relationship and the specifics of what you're looking for in a partner. Are you looking for casual or committed? What are the core values you're looking for in a person? What are your must-haves and red flags? When you're clear on these things, it's easier to sort the wheat from the chaff and you're far less likely to settle for someone who isn't a match for you or get washed away in someone else's slipstream because of codependent fantasy or romantic idealism. When you're ready to date again, take it super slowly, like so slowly that it will feel unnatural to you. That way, it'll be easier to catch yourself tripping into old habits and to spot any red flags. It also, and get this, it'll blow your mind, gives you a chance to actually get to know a person. Going slowly allows the other person time to reveal who they truly are. It gives you time to figure out things like what their attachment style is and if you're really compatible. It also gives time for any serious dysfunction like narcissistic tendencies to be revealed. And finally, take the pressure off. If you do the first three steps, you should be able to relax a little and trust yourself more. And the more you practice, the more your self-trust will grow. Allow yourself to experiment. Allow yourself to make mistakes. Just try to catch them quick. And most of all, have fun. Dating should be enjoyable, not a minefield. And if it stops being fun and starts feeling tiring or like it's all too much, it's also okay to have a break. There's nothing wrong with giving it a go and either realizing you're not quite ready or getting a bit bored or fed up and taking some time out. You don't have to be on a lifelong uninterrupted dating quest until you find the one. Tune in and out as it feels good to you. When you're in alignment with yourself and what you want from life, what's for you won't pass you by. Now it's that time in the show where I'd like to remind you that my codependency recovery community, Wildly Worthy, is open. For less than £50 or $65 a month, you can get access to weekly Q&A coaching calls with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you. So that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialized non-binary people. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to or follow the pod. It helps more people find us and join the movement to have healthier, more fulfilling relationships. They kind of get stuck in a quag... Oh, fuck. (laughs) I can't say this word. They kind of get stuck... (laughs) 
They kind of get stuck in a quagmire. <laughs> it's so awkward in the mouth. Somebody clip that. <clears throat> they kind of get stuck. <laughs> All I can think is the fucking character and family guy. Quagmire. Giggity. Fuck. It's not what I'm going for here. Quagmire. It's quagmire. I know this because I googled the pronunciation. <sighs> Try again. They kind of... <laughs> Fuck, this is the second time I've recorded this podcast. I didn't think this word was going to get me again. Why did I leave it in? Who am I trying to impress with my vocab? <laughs> Bumping uglies is a fucking awful phrase. Oh my God. What is up with me this week? 